So Revelation 18, I'll pray and we'll get into it. Father, thank you, Lord. I love it. Everything that we see around us is going to be destroyed. Everything in this world, uh, the boyfriends and girlfriends, the cars, the houses, the, the holidays, the pleasure, all that stuff is going to go. It's passing away. And Father, we just want to be not let down and disappointed in our lives when we finish our lives if we've been holding on to the world system. We don't want to be going, oh no, oh my house, or oh no, all that time I put into my golf or whatever it might be. Lord, we want to be putting our time into eternal things, our money, our efforts, our talents into eternal things because this is all going to burn. And Lord, the world system, the economic and false religious system is there to draw people away from you and suck them into building sandcastles, things that will not last, things that will perish. And so help us to have the eternal view, Lord, and to rejoice when the angel says, Babylon, it's fallen. It's fallen. And to understand what that means today in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is called Revelation 18, the history, future, and fall of mystery Babylon, this time the evil economic system that started with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. And this is part one, so part two is next week. So set the scene, right? Just a bit of background before we jump in. The book of Revelation is about a seven-year period of history. So we're in the church age now. What's coming next is the rapture. Then after the rapture, a short time after, the Antichrist is revealed. He signs or confirms a peace treaty with Israel for a period of seven years. And we know that that goes back to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. God allotted or decreed 490 years for the nation of Israel from the time that the command was given to rebuild the walls and city of Jerusalem. And after exactly 483 years or 173,880 days, Jesus rode in on the donkey and he was proclaimed as a Messiah. It was the first time that he allowed people to say, hey, you're the Messiah, and they proclaimed him as the King of Israel. As he rode in on the donkey, they put the palm branches out and all that kind of stuff. So on that day, the clock stopped ticking. What happened after? Or In Daniel chapter 9, it says after that Jesus will be crucified and the temple will be destroyed, which happened, you know, 37 years later, roughly. And the last seven years have not started yet. Okay. The last seven years have not started. As we just said, the rapture must happen first. And when the Antichrist signs the peace treaty with Israel, that clock, that time clock starts again when the Antichrist signs or confirms that peace treaty with Israel, the covenant with Israel, that last seven years starts ticking. And when it's finished, Jesus comes back, and that's the second coming. And everything's fulfilled, or prophecy is fulfilled. It's all done. And we come back with him. Now, I'm just going to talk quickly about the mystery Babylon false religious system, which we covered over the last couple of weeks. So, over the last two weeks, we learned about the Mystery Babylon, the false religious system described in Revelation 17. And I'm just going to read a few verses which explains what this entity is. So, Revelation 17, verses 3 to 5. So, he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup 
full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So, basic revision from last week, quick revision from last week. On the outside she looks great, on the inside she's disgusting. It's like the Pharisees look great on the outside but full of dead men's bones on the inside. No righteousness at all. Okay, they were unrighteous. Full of evil, full of wickedness. So, the mother of harlots. So, the mother is the origin. She's where it all started. All this evil, this false religion. Harlots is another way of saying being unfaithful to God. It's another way of saying they're worshipping a false religion. And the abominations of the earth, so serious sins, okay. And mystery. What does it mean by mystery? Why does the Bible in the New Testament use the word mystery? Well, whenever you hear in the Bible something is a mystery, it means that we need to listen and say, well, why is God telling us this? Why is God revealing this new thing to us? So the word for mystery is the Greek word mysterion. It means something that's secret, a divine secret, something above human intelligence, a secret doctrine. And that's what it meant in the days of the Greeks. So in the days when they had the, you know, the temples and all that kind of stuff, they had these secret fraternities. And a fraternity is a group of people sharing a common profession or interests. And there was always mysterions for every one of these Greek fraternities. So today we have a like a religious fraternity with so-called secrets, and they're the Freemasons. But you've also got the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. So basically, you'd have these kind of religious fraternities, and you wouldn't know the secrets of that fraternity unless you were initiated into the fraternity, into that group of people. So you weren't allowed to know their secrets unless you were initiated into their group. So in the Bible, it's used in the sense that a mystery is something that a believer in Christ could understand, but the world could not. We are the initiated ones, so to speak. We're in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit explains things to us. Now, some of the mysteries in the Bible include the Gentile church, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, the rapture, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, the church being the bride of Christ, Ephesians 5, 32, and Jesus living inside of us, Colossians 1, 26 and 27. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there are other examples of a mystery where something is true and is only revealed in the New Testament and it was not revealed in the Old Testament and it has a spiritual dimension to it which the world doesn't really understand. And so the angel is going to explain to us this mystery of this next entity which is economic Babylon. Now Babylon, where did Babylon come from? Why is Babylon important? So again a bit more background. Where did religious mystery Babylon and the economic, political mystery Babylon come from? Well, Babylon. In the plains of China. So, Nimrod, Tammuz, Semiramis, Nimrod wanted to start a one-world government and get everyone together to rebel against God. And so in the plains of China, or Babylon as we call it, is where organized false religion first started. So when John says Mystery of Babylon, he's talking about man's false religion as an organized system which started in Babylon in the plains of China. And this mystery religion permeated and followed through all the following world powers and will reach its zenith in our near future. So, well, we won't be here. It'll be during the tribulation. So basically, when it says the mother of all harlots, 
harlots, meaning false religious systems, and the abominations, meaning the worst kinds of sins, it all comes from there. So the land of Shona, the plains of Shona, Babylon, Tower of Babel, all that. And that false system has been keeping on going. And we're going to see how it's really kind of still in our society. We don't recognize it as being come from there, but it is. And it becomes obvious when you start studying it. So the beast with seven heads, another thing that we studied. What is the beast with seven heads? Well, we learned last week and in previous weeks that they represent the last seven sequential world empires. So Egypt and then Syria and Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Roman, and finally the future or revived Roman Empire. And some people call that the Roman Empire Phase 2. Now, interestingly enough, the Roman Empire Phase 1 was never predicted to be destroyed. The other one said, oh, someone else is going to come and smash them, and they did, but not with the Roman Empire Phase 1. Historically, we know that it just faded away. It just ceased to be a physical empire. But its religious side continued. And its influence is still there, even if it doesn't have a centralized location. But soon, and it probably has already started, out of the ashes of the old Roman Empire is going to rise up the revived Roman Empire from the same people group, from the same land areas. And there's going to arise a new world empire, which is going to be ruled by ten kings. And the Antichrist will be of Roman origins, ethnically. So, what is the origin of the mystery Babylon false religious system? Well, Revelation 17.5 pinpointed what would be the religious form of this revived Roman Empire. And it's all about the mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of all harlots, and the abominations of the earth. And then Revelation 17.18 says, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So, importantly, this identifies the woman, the whore, the harlot, as Rome. Because the great city who, present tense, reigns over the kings of the earth, back in John's day, was Rome. It was the capital of the Roman Empire. It was the religious center of the world and the economic center of the world. You've probably heard that phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Yeah. So if you get a map from back then, all the trade routes did lead to Rome. The River Tiber, Tiber River, or they had the ships going up there to Rome and all that kind of stuff. So the woman, the whore, was based in Rome. It was centralized in Rome. And the other titles are figures of speech that are used consistently in the Bible to describe false religious systems, and that's why it calls her Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And it's been passed down from one Gentile power, one empire to another. And so we still have that today. Now we come to chapter 18, the mystery Babylon economic system. It's going to destroy the religious system. It sounds funny, doesn't it? All this time they've been working hand in glove to, you know, hand in hand, however you want to say that, to deceive people, to work against God. But at the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist and the Ten Kings are going to destroy, turn against this mystery religion. Okay, It's going to completely wipe it out. Why? Well, we learnt last week that. Do you remember? What happens at the middle of the tribulation? Why does the Antichrist want this? One word religion destroyed. Yeah, he's going to proclaim himself to be God. He wants people to worship him direct. All the focus, all the glory goes to him. So this week in Revelation 18, we look at the destruction of the Mystery Babylon economic system. So we know the religious system will be destroyed at the halfway mark, but the economic system will be destroyed at the end of the tribulation. So. Think about this. The economic system in that day 
is going to include a one-world currency, most likely, a one-world banking system, a one-world economic or tax system, a one-world government, and just consider what would happen if everything was centralized into one computer system and there was no cash and that computer system was destroyed. Your bank account is non-existent. There is no way of buying or selling anymore. There is no cash and there is no electronic system anymore. You're stuck. So every person's money is going to be gone. Your wealth is wiped out just like that. You will have nothing. One minute you are maybe a billionaire and the next minute you own nothing. You have nothing. So the world's economic system is going to, in a day, very suddenly be destroyed. You cannot buy food. You cannot buy anything. You cannot get paid. I suppose the good thing is you can't pay tax anymore either. And what it says, we're going to read this soon, but these people were so distraught about their loss of this world system. And they're crying and wailing and weeping because they're so connected, they're so invested in the things, the pleasures and the lifestyle that this economic system offers people today. So what we're going to do is read chapter 18, Revelation chapter 18, 1 to 7. And then we're going to go into Isaiah 47 because Revelation 18, 7 and 8 quotes or comes from Isaiah 47, 7 and 8. And we're going to continue to read a little bit more from Isaiah 47 and get the big picture and application for us all today because we live in the same world system even today. And then next week we'll go back to the start of the chapter and break it down verse by verse. And there's some really awesome personal applications we can get. But it's too much to do in one week, so if we just do the overview first and then specifics next week. So Revelation chapter 18. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So this is another angel of the same kind as the one that spoke to John in chapter 17. So probably another one of these angels that had the golden vials or golden censers with the plagues. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So that's the destiny of the world economic system. And the city where it's centralized. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And that literally means sensuality and lust. So, what do you see on the TV when people are trying to sell you something? Usually a woman's body, right? Okay, as an example. So, the world system is evil. Our advertising is evil. It's appealing to our sinful nature. And this also ties the economic system to the religious system. They have a close relationship. They work together. Because it talks there about for all the nations are drunk on the wine of the wrath of her fornication and sexual immorality, speaking of spiritual adultery, worshipping a false religion. Verse 4. In Revelation 18, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. So repaying double is 
back in the Old Testament, if a thief was caught, he had to pay double in some instances. So this is like, well, she's stolen from people, now she's got to pay double back. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, that sensually and lustfully. In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. So guess what? It says, get out of there, get out of that system, lest you receive of her plagues. Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Why? Because if you get into that world system, you're living lustfully, luxuriously, thinking about yourself. But the consequence is you will receive torment and sorrow to the degree that you are involved, invested yourself into this system when it goes, okay, or when you go. In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So, Remember that if we study the Bible, the book of Revelation, your best tool is a, what's that word? A concordance, right? And you need to go back and find where these other words, verses come from so you get the original meaning, right? And verse 7 says, For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and will not see sorrow. This goes back to Isaiah 47, verses 7 to 8. So let's start in verse 1. Now, this has a historical fulfillment, but because John is quoting this and saying it's going to happen again, it means it has a dual fulfillment, and prophecy often has more than one fulfillment. So this is an example. This passage in Isaiah 47 is physical Babylon being destroyed by the Medes and Persians. But it's been applied to the end times mystery Babylon city economic system, which will be destroyed later on. So let's start reading in Isaiah 47. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veil. Take off the skirt. Uncover the thigh. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not arbitrate with a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I have profaned my inheritance, that is the land of Israel, and the people of Israel, and given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the elderly you laid your yoke very heavily. So the Babylonians treated the Israelites very badly when they took them into captivity, when they defeated them, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and took them into captivity. So they were very severe with them. God used them to judge his people, but they went way too far. Verse 7, and this is where we see it quoted in the book of Revelation, chapter 18. And you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. Important, right? You've got to remember the latter end of these things. Verse 8, Therefore hear this now, you were given to pleasures. Yeah? That's what this world system offers, pleasure, in various forms. Right? You who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. So, sudden judgment. The loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon you in their fullness, because of the multitude of your sorceries, for the great abundance of your enchantments. So, just have a look at verse 9 here. The 
real city of Babylon, the historical city of Babylon, the center of the world kingdom back then, was conquered by the Medes and Persians in a day. They got through the gates, bang, it was done. They killed the king that night. But John here in Revelation 18, verses 7 and 8, we have a second fulfillment, this time applied to Mystery Babylon, not the literal city Babylon, but the economic system, the Mystery Babylon economic system. So the one world economic system in place, the one world currency, the one world banking system, the one world government, all going to be wiped out in one day. And that's Revelation 18 verse 8. So this is not just one country going down and having like a ripple effect. This is the entire world's economy going down and there will be no recovery. So no more wages, no banking, no money system, no way of buying or selling at all because a system that ran everything was destroyed. So what city or region will be destroyed? Well, Mystery Babylon religion and economic system is Rome, the headquarters of the final world empire, the revived Roman Empire. How do we know? Well, again, Revelation 17 18, and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns, present tense, over the kings of the earth. So back in the day, Rome was the economic and political capital of the world, as well as the religious capital of the world. So it makes sense to me that it would be the same in the future revived empire. So when the Roman Empire rises to power again, they'll have the same capital city. It'll be the economic and religious capital of the world again. Also, in verse 9, it says, because of the multitude of your sorceries. Now, what this means, the sorceries there, is kind of like a black magic, and it's associated with a demonic kind of worship. And also in verse 9, it says, for the abundance or great power of your enchantments. So this is referring to casting spells. So they were able to cast powerful spells through their false religious system. We're talking about a cult here, all right? We're talking about the occult. Most people think of false religion as, oh, yeah, we just have a nice time and, you know, get involved in some group. But in today's age, where people are basically biblically illiterate, Satan is using the supernatural to draw people into his web to deceive people. And they see supernatural power in various forms, whether it be you know, fortune telling or, or whatever it might be. And they, oh, that came true. Oh, that was right. Or that person was healed, whatever it might be. And they think, well, this is the real thing. This is real power here. And so they get hooked into it, but they're not understanding what the source of the power is. Yes, the power is genuine, but it's evil. Okay, It's satanic in origin and will lead them to destruction, to eternal damnation. So again, people don't know their Bibles. They don't understand about angels and demons, that demons have power. God has granted them to have power. And we know that the Antichrist and the false prophet, especially the false prophet, will have the ability to do amazing miracles like call down fire from heaven to deceive people during the tribulation. So, continuing in Isaiah 47, verse 10, For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, No one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you, and you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else beside me. Therefore evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises. And trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. That's it. When God has decreed the end, that's it. Judgment will come. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Stand now with your enchantments and the multitude of your sorceries, in which you have labored from your youth. So you're stopping there for a sec. Labored from your youth. What's this talking about? This is talking about Mystery Babylon now. Your youth is in the beginning, in the plains of Shinar, the Tower of Babel. You've been working at these same false religious ideas, the same false religious system same demonic religion that started in the plains of China at the Tower of Babel in Iraq. Okay? It all goes back to there, from your youth. 
So again, the beast of the seven heads represents the last seven of these kingdoms, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medes and Persians, Greeks, the Roman phase one and the Roman Empire phase two. There's ten kings. And continuing back in Isaiah 47, verse 12, perhaps you will be able to profit, perhaps you will prevail. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. Now, the Chaldeans, it's mentioned the word Chaldeans in there. They were in the land before the Babylonians, and the Chaldeans became like this special caste of priests. Okay, they were like the wise men. The wise men were probably Chaldeans in the New Testament. Yeah? So these are the ones who were really big in the early empires. They were used as advisors to the kings. They were the ones who we looked to for wisdom. In verse 13 it says astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators. So horoscopes, where do they come from? Mystery of Babylon. Yeah? So horoscopes come from Mystery Babylon. It's all demonic, so stay away from it. So back to Revelation chapter 18, going back to verse 8. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she'll be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So, sudden judgment. Just like we read in Isaiah 47. And the merchants of the earth, well, what are they going to do? Weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. And it goes to this big list of stuff that used to be sold. So I'll just read it. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and olive oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and BMWs and Porsches and Commodores. That's the, um, the modern translation, David version. Yeah. And bodies and souls of men. So basically, this is all the world's commerce. This is meant to be a list which describes all the goods that are bought and sold. Horses and chariots is transportation. So all the world's commerce, controlled by the one world economic political system based in Rome, and then it will be controlled by the revived Roman Empire and eventually by the Antichrist. And it's all going to be destroyed. Verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. Wow. What does it say in First John? This world is passing away and the lust of it. So the fruit that your soul longed for, the pleasures you were chasing, has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. So I just want to point out that this is a slap in the face for us, showing us how temporary the lures of this world are. If you get stuck in this world, or you start getting allured into the world, it's going to be gone one day, and you will never, ever get it back. The souls of the lost long for and seek their satisfaction completely in the things of this world. So the lost people, the only satisfaction they have is what they get in this world system, this economic and religious world system, right? So imagine the emptiness they're going to experience when everything they have lived for is completely destroyed. And they will go to hell empty. They will have nothing. That were completely empty, a complete and eternal destruction. You shall find them no more at all. Your pleasures that you used to enjoy, they will not be in hell. Nothing. You'll be empty, completely empty. Verse 15. 
The merchants of these things, who became rich by her, so notice people in this new economic system will get rich, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So it looked good, right? For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. In one hour such great riches came to nothing. So this world system, when you put your trust in the world, God is going to take it away from you, either when you die or sooner, and it's all going to come to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city, in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. So he keeps repeating this, in one hour she's destroyed. It's a sudden destruction. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. So a critical turning point here in this passage, God is judging the system first and foremost for what they have done to true believers. It's a persecution of the true believers all throughout history, which is coming now, or at this point in the future, at the end of the tribulation. Verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon, mystery Babylon, not literal Babylon, shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Now I just want to go back to the word sorcery, the Greek word pharmakia. Our word pharmacy comes from this word, and it comes from a root word that means to mix poisons. But pharmakia, in the first century, what it used to mean was, or what it was associated with was, using drugs as a part of occultic worship. Using drugs as a part of occultic worship. So this economic system is tied to, mixed in with, the religious system. It says, by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. So it's a kind of cult worship mixed with drugs. Now, today, what's happening? Nations all around the world are starting to become more lenient towards drugs. The occult is also on the rise. People's interest in the occult. So, again, the Bible predicts this is going to happen, and guess what? It's happening. One of the reasons God continued to judge the world in Revelation 9, you know, the, the judgments that he gives, the seal judgments, then the trumpet judgments, and the vile judgments, one of the reasons he doesn't stop is because the world didn't repent. So, Revelation 9, 20 to 21, just going back a bit in Revelation, it says, But the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Okay, so they're doing that, and they refused to repent. So that was Revelation 9, 20 and 21. So again, pharmakia, the worship of the occult associated with drug use, will be one of the prevailing trends of the end times. That's where we're heading today but it's only going to get worse. So I just want to point out that drugs open people's minds to the occult, to demons. 
worshipping Satan. It could be the new age. It could be anything like that, all right? So stay away from the drugs so you won't be deceived. You need to have your faculties, your mind there all the time so you're not drawn into something, to believing something which is not true. Now, it says thefts as well, and just as a bit of a slide here, what do druggies do? Most of the time, they have to steal stuff to support their habit, right? So, thefts. And they're not usually people of good character, so you have sexual immorality, and off you go. Verse 23 also says, For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. So, we can apply this to, in a broader sense to mean, or to when Mystery Babylon, false religion, was mixed in with Christianity in order to deceive people. And that's the Roman Catholic Church. Verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on the earth. So, and in her. So who's this? Is this the Mystery Babylon economic system or the religious system? What's the context of chapter 18? Is it the economic system or the religious system? It's the economic, isn't it? It's talking about buying and selling, yeah? It's talking about commerce. So, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So this is the commerce system, the economic system. Yes, it is tied to the religious system, but the economic system is just as guilty. So, one thing to remember is at the end of chapter 17, it says the Antichrist and the Ten Kings would turn on the woman, most likely at the halfway point of the tribulation, and he would destroy her. Well, he doesn't destroy the city of Rome, he only destroys a system of religion that would be associated with Rome. So, it appears that the city of Rome itself, the new center of world religion and commerce, will be destroyed at the very end of the tribulation the physical city. So, conclusion. I just want to go through some of the evidences because this is a point of contention sometimes. Is this same Babylon in chapter 18 as is described in chapter 17? So, is the Babylon described in chapter 17 the same as chapter 18? Is it all the one world false religion? It is confusing because they are so intertwined and so interconnected and they do have similarities. So, here are some of the similarities. Both are under the rule of the Antichrist. Both are ruling queens, like one's a woman and the other says, I'm a queen. Both are filled with blasphemy. They're both anti-God. Both hate the saints and shed their blood. Both are associates with kings in fornication or false religion. And both are judged and destroyed by God. But there's some significant difference. And this is why we know, well, I believe that they are two different systems. Chapter 17, the false religious system, Mystery Babylon, the false religion, and the chapter 18, the commercial Mystery Babylon. So, the symbol for the commercial Babylon in chapter 18 is not a whore or a woman, but it's a great city. And it's described its habitation as a great city or a marketplace. It's also described as being guilty of greed and self-indulgence as opposed to religious abominations. The commercial system is destroyed by a sudden act of God in contrast to the religious system, which is destroyed by the economic system. Okay, That's probably the biggest thing which convinces me that it's two different systems. Yes, they're intertwined, but two different ones, economic versus religious. Also, the people of God are told to come out of the economic system. Well, God never tells his people to come out of the false religious system because they're not in the false religious system, if you know what I mean. As a Christian today, I can be sucked into this world system, the economic system. So in the first half of the tribulation, if you're a tribulation believer, you can be sucked into this world system, into prosperity, into getting rich, into pleasures that this world can offer and God is saying don't do that okay it applies to us just as much today as it will then in the first half the other 
differences is the religious system is judged at the midpoint by the economic system and the economic system is judged at the end and it's by God. So yes, the religious system and the economic system are intertwined but they are distinct. Now, again, the call to come out of Babylon is relevant for today because Satan uses materialism to trap many believers today. The love of money is described as a root of all evil. <laughs> 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So a root, it's not the root. There are other roots of evil. But this is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed away from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, this is talking about believers for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Remember how we're reading? It says, come out of her lest you share in her sins and share in her plagues, her judgment. Yeah. So, as believers, we can still get caught up in this false economic system. Now, at the midpoint of the tribulation, this is very relevant because if you commit yourself to this economic system and get the mark of the beast, you're also worshipping the beast and you've, you're eternally damned. So, today I want you to try and understand that these mystery Babylon religious and economic systems are alive and well today. We still have the horoscopes going on, we still have all those other parts of the false religious system in various ways, just called different names, different ways of doing things, still around. The economic system is vile. You think about the movies, the movie industry, the entertainment industry, vile. It's horrible, all the pornography that's a part of it now. It's all evil. The spirit behind it is evil. Again, it's Satan's way of destroying or trying to deceive people and keep people away from God by appealing to their sinful nature. Again, by appealing to their sinful nature. So I'm going to finish with a couple of verses and then we're going to take communion. So 1 John 2, 15-17, and then 28-29. It says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father but are from the world, this world. And this world is fading away, passing away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And skipping down to verse 28, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that those who do what is right are God's children. So, verse 15, it says, Do not love this world. And the Greek word there for world is cosmos. <laughs> it's not the trees and the rocks and the water. It's the system, what we've been talking about in Revelation 17 and 18. It's the mystery Babylon world system. The economic system, the religious system. It's satanic. That's why this passage is so explicit. And it says, if you love that, then you don't love God. Does that make sense? So, cosmos, from this word cosmos, we get our word cosmetic. It means to adorn or embellish, or it's like an ornament. Satan has painted, he's applied makeup. <laughs> to the world system, and he's made it look very attractive. Like makeup, when it's worn properly, looks attractive. But it leads to death. And I also want you to notice, 
in verse 15, it says, Do not love this world. So what does the world want from us? Our love, our affections, yeah? So this is expressed, this love is expressed in time, attention, and expense. We are encouraged and persuaded to give our time, attention, and money to the things of this world instead of the things of God. It's true, if you love the world, there are rewards to be gained. You may find a place of prestige, or of status, of honour and comfort. The world system knows how to reward its lovers. Yes, you will find some contentment and some satisfaction there. But, it's temporary. Even at their best, if you manage to keep your house till the day you die, and your stocks don't go down in value and all that kind of stuff, the day you die, it's all gone. It's all a waste of time. You can't take it with you. And the problem is that though we gain prestige, status, honor, and comfort as we're in this world, we lose the prestige, status, honor, and comfort of heaven, which lasts forever. So you gain one but lose the other. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. And that's why when we stand for the beam of seat, you know, the wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, precious stones, the wood, hay, straw is when we're loving the things of the world and not loving the things of God. And the gold, silver, precious stones is the things we do out of love for God. So the wood, hay, straw, it's all going to burn. It's all going to go. So how do people deal with this? Well, <laughs> become a monk. Why not do that? Go live in a monastery. <laughs> What's going to happen? You're going to take the world with you. You're going to take all those desires, those worldly desires, into that monastery with you. And you'll have your own little worldly place in that monastery. All by yourself. It's just be a boring way of seeking comfort and satisfaction from the world. What did Jesus say? Jesus says to be in the world, but not of the world. That's his prayer in John 17, 14 to 18. So it's not God's will that you go out of the world, like move away and not talk to anyone who's not a Christian or anyone who's sinning, because otherwise you have to move away from yourself, right? But he wants us to be in the world as a witness for him. And in verse 17, it says the world is passing away. What we invest into the world is not going to last because it's all passing away. And like with the Tower of Babel, they thought that they would had one. They, they had, Nimrod had the entire world population gathered together worshipping this false religion. And God just clicked his fingers, changed the language, and bang, it was all over. You know, we know it now it's different languages. God is going to judge it again. It's not going to last. It looks strong. It looks like it's going to keep going, but it's not. Another comment on the world is passing away. It's not a prayer. It's not like we pray for the world to pass away. It's not a wish. It's a fact. It's going to pass away. This is not something to pray for. Oh, Lord, please take this world away. No. God has told us it's going to happen. So we just need to count it as being true and saying, I'm not going to put my faith my, my time, my effort, my affections, my money, my talents into something that's not going to last. It's stupid. And another example from Scripture that really helps us to understand this is Lot in Genesis 13, 14, and 19. Lot was Abraham's nephew. They had so many flocks and herds that they had to split and so Lot chose to go towards Sodom. He was selfish, and he chose for himself what seemed to be the most lucrative, most economically beneficial place to go, without considering the spiritual or eternal implications of what he was doing. He became financially prosperous, but he had pitched his tent toward a wicked and worldly city. And after a while, 
he became one of the leaders in that city. He had worldly status, influence, wealth, and comfort. That's what this world system offers, right? Worldly status, influence, wealth, and comfort. Pleasures. Yeah, he would have had a nice house. All that kind of stuff. Yet, it was all taken away in just one moment when the judgment of God came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So, Lot is an example of a righteous man who put his faith, his affections into the world. He put his eggs in the wrong basket, so to speak, and he was burned by the fact that the world is passing away. Everything he put his effort into is gone. Okay, All the people that he hang around with were dead. All his nice house and everything was destroyed. Verse 17, in contrast, says, He who does the will of God abides forever. That makes sense. Put your money in where it's going to not be destroyed. Send it ahead into heaven, right? By giving for the Lord's work. Put your time, your talents, your abilities, whatever, into God's work, into doing things that are eternal. You'll be rewarded for that. Eternally. So there's three things that we're in regular contact with which are eternal. And that is the Spirit of God. The people around us, did you know that we are eternal? So as we invest in each other's lives, we're investing in an eternal being, yeah? I'm not eternal in the idea that I've existed forever, but once God created me, I will not cease to exist. And that's true for every person. You'll exist in heaven or you'll exist in hell. So the three eternal things that we can have contact with is the Holy Spirit of God, the people around us, and Bible. Not one word, jot or tittle is going to pass away. So the truth of God's word, the truth which is in the Bible, is not going to pass away. So if you want to put your time and effort into something eternal, read your Bible. That effort, that work you put into doing that, will have eternal rewards. Now, 1 John 2.28, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. There's going to be a price to pay for living our own way. All right, There's going to be a price to pay for living our own way. And I want you to remember that our motivation for serving God and forsaking the world system is gratitude for the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross when he died for us. We don't got to forsake the world system, but we get to forsake the world system because we have a greater love. And as we forsake the world, we draw close to Jesus because we want to, because we love him. And just going to finish with Jude verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. If you keep yourself in the love of God, then you won't love the world. It's all about a greater love. And this is what communion is all about. It's remembering what Jesus has already done for us on the cross, his death on the cross in our place, and the glory that awaits us when he returns for us at the rapture. So, Communion is all about not forgetting what God has already done for us and remembering what he will do for us in the future as well. And last comment, the more we love God, the less we will love the world. The more we love the world, the less we will love God. Father, thank you for your death on the cross in our place. Lord, your body was broken, uh, representing the bread. And Lord, we thank you for that, Father, your death on the cross and the wine, your blood that was spilled. And Lord, it cleanses us from our sins. So thank you, Father, for cleansing us from our sins, washing us white, making us pure, and causing us to be able to enter into a relationship with you because our sin 
has been removed, is remembered no more forever once we accept your gift of pardon. So help us, Lord, to just be so thankful about what you've done for us and so caught up in who you are that we have no desire or care for the things of the world. So we just pray these things in Jesus' name.